Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. I got to the point of when I was playing, I I wasn't enjoying the game. I had my injury, and it gave me a real a good amount of time to make a game plan of what I wanted to achieve and have that goal. Mm. I guess to set set those goals, which is really important. So. Uh, I wanted to do it my way when I came back from my toe injury. I wanted to bowl fast. I wanted to be nasty. Uh, I didn't want to bowl 138 kilometres an hour trying to swing the ball because I felt like that's I'd already tried that and it didn't really fit that well with me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats. I'm Shane Watson, and today we're talking to, if you ask any Englishman, in particular this guy, was one of the most menacing fast bowls to ever hold a kookaburra. A former ICC Cricketer of the Year who's taken over 300 test wickets. He's ranked in the top 10 fastest bowlers of all time. We've been great mates since the day he was billeted at my parents' home in Ipswich as 17-year-olds. And then we went on to play the majority of our careers together. Mitchell Johnson, welcome to my show. Shay, how are you, mate? Um, that's probably the best introduction. It, it's one of those things um, when you say I was billeted. Um, how cool was that? Like I still remember. Um, I still remember those days. Absolutely crazy. Um, and we travel in your car. What, what car was that again? Mazda three two three eighty six model. It. What a beast! But you, yeah. you had the, the sound system and you had a bit of Ramstein and. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool days, I reckon. Oh yeah, had a good good sound system. Now nah, we've we've been uh, been mates since. Yeah, absolutely. Mitch and I shared so many special times together on the cricket field, and just about every one of my most special moments in my career was with Mitch, right there beside me. We were there in the squad together during the 2007 World Cup win, the five nil Ashes win in Australia. 2009 Champions Trophy win and the 2015 World Cup win at home in Australia. With all of the amazing things that you achieved during your career, does one moment really stand out to you the most? Oh, I mean, you just rattled off a a few really um, great, great times that we've had. Um, And as a cricketer, as a sportsman, in a team sport, you look at, um, you know, World Cups in particular for cricket, uh, you look at uh, the Ashes series. Um, I think it's pretty hard to go past an Ashes series for me. Mm. Um, I would have loved to have win one away, uh, but to do it at home, I, I've actually recently seen some clips um, of that. It sort of comes up on your uh, on the YouTube feeds and stuff like that. And I've watched a couple of times, and you and you hear the crowd, and I don't know, and then you see everyone um, celebrating. You see your teammates celebrating, and. Um, you're getting the pat on the head and 
uh, when you get a wicket and, and just all those little things um, are really special moments and, and you never forget. Um, so I have to say like an Ashes is that 13-14 that series is pretty hard to go go past. Um, I really enjoyed that 07 World Cup as well. Even though I didn't get to play, uh, I really learned a lot from it and, and being around um, guys like yourself, you, you got to play and experience it. Uh, but like Glenn McGrath, I actually remember asking him for, for his shirt um, during that World Cup and I was so nervous to, to like talk to him uh, for some weird reason. Um, I was absolutely like packing it um, at the time. But he was like, yeah, no worries. I'm happy to, you know, happily sign a shirt for you. And it's actually up in my gym now. Uh, I'm framed oh, wow. up. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not big on memorabilia, but that moment for me was, you know, a really special moment and, and being a part of, you know, Matty Hayden, another example, and, and what he achieved over there. So I think number one is, is Ashes, definitely. Uh, can't go past that. But, yeah, pretty close World Cup. Yeah, pretty special. Uh, the yeah. one, well, I'm gonna, the, the highlight for me for you is what you said there: the Ashes at home. Um, that was that Ashes series in 2013-14 throughout Australia was when you absolutely terrorised the English. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was super special to be fielding at first slip, seeing the fear in the eyes as every batsman came out and. Well, a couple that I really enjoyed seeing the fear in their eyes as well. Well, one in particular was Jimmy Anderson. That was good to see because he was always happy to <laughs> throw a few verbals out there on the field. Like every time, every time a ball was bowled, just about that I was out batting, and I'm sure it was the same thing for you. So, yeah, to see him walk out to bat, super uncomfortable, knowing that there's going to be balls being fired at him. <laughs> that was yeah. Well, I mean, that was super special. Yeah, um, it's those little battles, isn't it, that you enjoy and. Um, I think a lot of people probably watching at home may not realise that Jimmy was quite verbal. Um, I thought it was pretty obvious, yeah. but uh, but yeah, he was very verbal, and um, I quite enjoyed those battles. We shook hands when you finished the match, and you and you you move on. But um, there are plenty of great battles. Uh, I don't know. I, I I don't really have one moment that stands out. A lot of people say to me that stare that I gave Jimmy when I got him out uh, in Adelaide. Um, yeah. was the best moment, but I'm quite embarrassed about that moment, to be honest. When I look back at it, um, I feel like oh, a bit of a tool, oh, like the way I sort of really just sort of rolled past him. And yeah, no, um, but no, that was awesome. Harsh. He just he deserved <laughs> it, he deserved it <laughs> on the field. He, he obviously did. seems he like a decent guy off the field, but on the field, geez, have some of that. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, actually. I, I don't feel bad about it at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, it was, it, there's some really, really good moments through that series. I mean, mm. uh, there was a lot of talk uh, personally about myself and how I performed in that mm. series, but I always go back to what, you know, the team was. We had the best team. Uh, you know, we had a lot of great guys. We had the, one of the best bowling attacks I felt at that time. Uh, everyone did their part. Everyone played their part, uh, which, you know, helps massively in, in, in those kind of um, series. So uh, Ryan Harris doing... You know that bally bowled to Cook in in Perth. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I told a few of you guys this. I, I sort of knew that was going to happen. I had this real like great feeling, and I wanted to like say something before he bowled it. And I was like, "No, nah, I better not jinx him." But like, it's yeah, one of those things idea. that no one's going to believe me that I thought that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> Gosh, I wish you had more of those feelings for me, towards me. No, I always did. Always yeah. wanted you to do well. You know that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, look, to be able to think that you can get, you could get 37 wickets um, during an Ashes series is an amazing achievement. But for me, the thing that stands out the most around that time was your ability to bounce back from being dropped from the previous Ashes series in England, which was only three or four months before that, um, and to be able to come back and dominate like you did. That, to me, is what absolute greats are all about. So with this, from a mental skills point of view, were you always built a certain way or did you develop certain mental skills that you used to get the best out of yourself throughout throughout your, your career and, and especially you know, at that Ashes series as well? Yeah, I mean, it was a long process and a lot of injuries. Um, you know what injuries can do to yourself uh, and what it does to your mental um, side. And um, I actually, I learned a lot from yourself. Um, I've always, always backed you up 100% and saying, uh, you know, to be able to come back from so many injuries that you did, um, not many people can do that. And uh, it takes a, a lot of mental strength and a lot of uh, inner strength um, to be able to do that. So I learned from a lot of people along the way. Um, and I guess the thing for me is I, I got to the point of when I was playing, I, I wasn't enjoying the game and I had my injury. And it gave me a real a good amount of time to make a game plan of what I wanted to achieve and have that goal, mm. I guess, that set set those goals, which is really important. So uh, I wanted to do it my way when I came back from my toe injury. I wanted to bowl fast. I wanted to be nasty. Uh, I didn't want to mm. bowl 138 kilometres an hour trying to swing the ball because I felt like that's – I'd already tried that and it didn't really fit that well with me. Uh, mm. I, uh, there's so many factors that, that happen, but uh, I tried a lot of different training, things that worked for me. I went to the Mill Gym uh, here in Perth and uh, XSA, run by XSAS guys and, and got a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of tips from those guys there and how to train and the mental resilience and, and things like that. So uh, it, it all came down to myself in the end. I had to have that belief uh, in what I was doing and, and confidence was another thing. I, I never had that before. Uh, so to be able to build all those things up, it wasn't just about getting strong. It was about building my mind, uh, which people probably uh, may not understand or may not see it that way. But I definitely um, you know, had to build my mind and get that stronger. And I was able to work on that in that period when I was coming back from my injury. And I think the determination came from that I didn't want to have any regrets. I felt like I hadn't played my best cricket consistently. And that was a real letdown for me. So I just wanted to come back and play the game my way, be consistent in my way. And if I was able to do that and mm. uh, even if I didn't perform uh, like I did in the Ashes, that would have been okay with me because at least I did it my way. Uh, I would have been happy. So uh, fortunately enough for me, it, it worked out. And, um, yeah, I mean, I could talk about this all day. It, it's 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 so fascinating <laughs> how the mind works. So, mm. I mean, I'm not much of a thinker. Um, I'm one of those dumb, fast bowlers, but it's. That's I think your mind is. Yeah, <laughs> it's the old saying, isn't That's it? Really, but no, so it's uh, sure, mate. Yeah, but it's. I think I, I tried to keep everything really simple and have a really simple game plan. And mm. I, I mean, 
having the right people around definitely helped as well. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, when I was injured, I had the right people around. I mean, Jess, my wife, uh, you know, has a karate background and, and I was so amazed at her discipline and her focus on what she did, like how she would prepare, prepare herself for tournaments was so different to what we did as professional cricketers. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to lift my game here. And, you know, um, so she was definitely a, a big part of um, pushing me forward and, and helping with that, um, mm. you know, that confidence and that belief as well. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's such a it was such a great ride. It was something I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the process of working really hard. And, um, you know, I was doing training sessions where I'd absolutely smash myself in the gym, whether it's fitness mm. or strength. And then I'd go and bowl for an hour when I was absolutely mm-hmm. stuffed because I knew that mm-hmm. I was going to have to do that in a test match. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd change it around and, and just play with my training a little bit. And it was good to be able to have that freedom, I guess, uh, because mm-hmm. I did know my body uh, and how I worked and uh, and I had that trust in um, that ability, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, long process. Mm-hmm. It took probably nine months to to get back into the team, I think it was at the time. And I remember the real test for me was going back to England for the one-day series before that test mm-hmm. match series started. Yeah. And I was quite quite nervous, but I knew if I could get through that and get past all the, the crowd noise that's over there, you know how bad it is yeah. when, they're, when they're singing about you. It just gets stuck in your head. So mm-hmm. I was able to get past all that, bowled, bowled pretty well. I probably didn't get the wickets I would have liked, but... I felt good. I felt like I bowled fast. I was getting, uh, you know, good feedback from yourself, good feedback from Brad Haddon, who was another guy who uh, I always enjoy getting his feedback because being a keeper, he knows and feels the ball coming through. So that's always a good sign. Uh, yeah. So that was a really good tour to, to go on. And I think looking back at it, I, I think I definitely, that's where Trot started to think about me a little bit more. Um, coming into, yeah, because I bowled him a good short ball at Edge Baston that got him on the grill or on the hands. I remember, yeah, I remember that ball like as yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he wasn't the same from that ball. No, yeah. so you start to get into the heads, and and I think my confidence just grew from there. Uh, you know, IPL was another thing. I played IPL for I think it was Mumbai uh, at the time, mm. and was swinging the ball at pace, um, mm. something I hadn't done consistently, um, and then. I missed out on that test, the Ashes Test Series in England, which mm. at first I was a little bit disappointed, but at the same time I, I knew I wasn't ready. So it was mm. a it was a pretty good move in the end and uh, I wasn't bitter or upset, you know. I, I didn't dwell on it anyway. I sort of moved on and thought I've got to keep myself going here, keep myself ready. Um, hopefully I get that opportunity when it comes to Australia and I can, you know, use the bounce of the pitches uh, that we have there. So, yeah, it was... Still nerve-wracking when I got that call up and, and the first probably two or three overs of that that start of that series in Brisbane, I literally couldn't breathe. Um, I mean, that's Brisbane in general. You can't <laughs> breathe there anyway, but um, playing at the Gabba. But, yeah, it's um, – yeah, all, all those emotions were still coming out of me. Like I had to channel uh, my thoughts and go, okay, I got hit for a four actually early on in that test match. Alistair Cook played a pull shot. And my short ball was my strength and and trying to intimidate and things like that. And he played this pull shot in front of square leg and I just thought to myself, 
here we go again. And then I quickly snapped out of it. I thought, you know what? It's not going to happen this way. I'm, I'm snapping out of it. And then, yeah, my second spell, I got, got trot in and got him on the gloves again and then one down leg side and sort of was on my way. Yeah. What you said there about the mental skills and being able to actually catch yourself as your mind yeah. starts to go in one direction, and especially if it's going in the wrong direction, to be able to have that yeah. skill and awareness to be able to catch it and go, you know what, I'm not going that way. I'm, I've got control of my mind to be able to go in the, in the other way where I can, which is me at my best. So, and yeah. with that, what is, what would you say is the best from the mental skills perspective? What, what does the best version of yourself look like? Yeah, I mean, at my best, uh, you pretty much don't have a lot going on. It's just you know what ball you want to bowl. <laughs> the top of my mark, I was just pretty clear. Um, I literally had my cues that I would, would, would stick to, like I'd use occasionally if I needed to just switch back on, which were yeah. my run-up, my front arm and fit, follow through. So I would use that at the start of my spell. And then once I was confident, i just let everything take over and just make sure I knew what length I wanted to bowl or what type of ball I wanted to bowl and kept it as simple as that really. It was literally three lengths. It was top of off, bouncer, pin his head to the sight screen. Um, (laughs) And I literally said that to myself. Um, Mm. And um, Yorker length. So that were my three lengths. Like that's as simple as my lengths were. Um, If it was on a swinging day, it would just be you just work out where you had to start the ball, like just outside off stump or, or off stump, whatever it was. So really simple, top yeah. of my mark, yeah, I was clear, running in, clear. Um, you almost feel like you're floating mm. um, on a cloud. But yeah. as I was walking yeah. back after I finished bowling the ball, I would mm. have a song in my head, uh, which mm. I used to do when I was younger, uh, when I first started playing the game, and I got lazy and stopped doing that for some reason. Um, but, yeah, it was the song Frozen at the time because my daughter loved yeah. it. Um, so... <laughs> That was the, the song, but um, it, it can be anything. Just stopping there right now. Okay, so the, the yeah. song in your head, was that um, something that you, someone talked to you about the power of having a song in your head or you just knew, you you went back to, okay, that's what I do when I'm at my best. I've just got to yeah. put that song in my head because it's a way to be able to get my mind on to chilling, mind on neutral, not burning any extra mental energy on my way back, you know, walking back to mark every ball. Yeah, Um well, it, it, Glenn McGrath had reminded me of because he used to do the same thing. And I, I remember him saying it. I don't, I don't know if it was in the World Cup that time in 2007 or wherever it was. Someone had sort of mentioned it again. And, um, yeah, I was oh, – that worked for me like a long time ago. So the reason why it worked, though, for me was because it would block out um, all the negative thoughts coming in. So mm-hmm. I would always have that positive, you know, song in my head um, and nothing else could get in. So I'd, I'd do that on my way back with my walk mm-hmm. or I'd go and talk to mid-on or mid-off and have a bit of a joke or laugh or yeah. how good's this, boys? You know, we're playing in front of a massive crowd, like whatever it was. You just take your mind away from mm-hmm. that last delivery um, because you can't dwell on it. It's, it's mm-hmm. done and dusted and you've got to move on. Mm-hmm. So once I got to the yeah. top of my mark, though, that was when I – or just before I'd turn around, I was starting to switch on again and knew exactly what I wanted to do. So, And that was another thing Pidgey used to do really well, wasn't it? He, he would have basically his whole over plan in his head. Yeah. He, he'd know exactly what he wanted to do. It might change, but 
most of the time he knew exactly where he wanted to go, um, how he wanted to set the batsman up. Mm. Uh, so I, I sort of got to that point as well where I was probably three balls ahead, four mm. balls ahead. I knew exactly, you know, it's going to be a short ball, short ball, um, maybe another short ball and then top of off stump or just really, you know, simple game plan like that. It's fascinating that you say that because um, the thing that I discovered after I actually got educated in mental skills, God, 2015, um, as a, after I retired from international or test cricket anyway and one-day cricket, mm. was that's the, that technique of song in your head and how powerful that is because, one, it does get your mind on neutral, but it also gets something yeah. into your mind so the wrong things can't come in, especially, the yeah. as you said, the negative thoughts and that sort of thing. So um, that's something, an incredibly powerful technique. Glenn McGrath did. He mentioned it, the same thing when I was, I reckon it had been around 2007 as well, was he yeah. said, oh, at my best, I've always got a song in my head. As I go to yeah. bowl my first ball of each over, I know exactly what the over's going to, like how, what balls are yeah. going to bowl during that over, and I've got a song in my head. And I was like, I wonder, like, I wonder why he did that. Sure. But then I got understand the technique and the reason why you do it, not just I yeah. do it because it works. It's actually yeah. an amazingly powerful technique that it just allows one for you not to burn through extra mental energy. Yeah. I mean, someone can tell you they're doing it. But why? But why they do it? Yeah. I mean, someone can tell you what, what they're doing. Yeah. But why? <laughs> yeah. You need to know why. Yeah. And, yep. and you need to try it yourself yep. and then, you know, figure it out for yourself as well. Um, that's the beauty of it. That's yep. what I loved about playing the game as well as, there's so many great people to learn from. Um, yeah. Not everything's going to be right for you, but you, you get to try things out and, and see what does work. But that, I think, is one of the things that definitely works for it. Work for the majority of people is having that, mm. whether it's a song or something positive in their mind that they, mm. or, or a distraction away from, because you need to switch on and switch off as well um, yep. as part of it. But there was one other thing. Um, it almost goes down to the, how PG used to, say like, oh, I knew exactly what I wanted to bowl, like for, you know, the over basically. Mm. It's almost coming to a visualisation thing. And that's something mm. I started to do as well was visualisation, which is uh, really, really important I think as well because you can start to – I started to visualise uh, the perfect ball or the, the best ball mm. that I could bowl in all situations mm. and then I'd visualise all different um, scenarios as well. Um, bowling at the death or, or bowling in a period where it was really tough, um, how I was going to do that, what my body my body actually started to feel it as well. So I think that's a, another really um, important thing as well. And I think it's something that's being done a lot more now in sports. It's, it's always been there, but I think it's becoming a bit more out there um, and, and people are, um, are quite, um, what's the word, they, they start to, uh, maybe use it a bit more and, and and take it on. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like if, if um, the visualization, what you're saying there, and the me- and the mental skills. If we were able to get, if we were able to educate people at a younger age, so you understand like why you do it, not just just do it. Like it, it's it's more so going to work. Yeah. Like visualization, the power of visualization is, gosh, it's un it's unlocking. Um, you know, it's some incredible power in your mind, and also then you know, feeling that through your body to be able to execute your skill. Um, but that's something that's re- really important. Um, and it's actually what um, uh, Brett Lee with Bingham mentioned in um, the episode, uh, the previous episode with, with Brett was around the visualization, how important that is visualizing the, the perfect ball that you want to bowl at the time, at the situation. Um, so it's, um, it's, yeah, 
there's no secrets to reason why why you're as great as what you are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember him talking about that as well, like throughout my career, and he would visualize. He'd sometimes do it at the top of his mark in the game. Mm. Um, but I reckon as a kid, I think you naturally do it when you. I just sort of think back to when I was growing up, and you and you're watching a game of cricket or football or whatever it is that you love. Um, I think you do naturally visualize like you playing like whether it's, um, mm. you know, you're out there in the middle one day, oh, I'm gonna, that's going to be me, you're actually visualising it. Mm. So I think we I think we sort yeah. of naturally do it, but then we get to yeah. a, a point where we, we've we got so much going on and we get a bit caught up in all the other stuff, all the other skills that come with the game and um, you forget about the mind, mind stuff. So I think if you can yeah. get onto that early, I think it's, yeah, that, that's a, it's, it's a really important um, part of the game. It's probably one of the most well, it's, it's yeah, pretty much up there. I think it's so important, yeah. the, the mental side. Yeah, yeah no question. Um, you mentioned before as well your, like, technical checklist that you had in your mind as you're mm-hmm. running in, as you're running to bowl. So go, go through that again because yeah. the, thing, that's, the thing for me, whether it's batting or bowling, I absolutely have a checklist. I have to. It yeah. keeps me really process-driven. It keeps me right in the moment as as I'm running into bowl or as I'm batting just to keep, okay, this is the timing of my movements. This is where my bat needs to be. This is like the position I need to get into. Yeah. So from your technical component, when you're at your best, what did those technical – what did that technical checklist look like? Yeah, well, because I had a lot of stress fractures early, I had a lot of opportunities to work on – on a short run, whether it was a walkthrough or a little jog. Um, it started off as a walkthrough and I'd have that checklist then basically, yeah. uh, which was, um, well, it got to run up. Run up was uh, small, uh, smooth and tall. So I just knew that automatically because I'd told myself so many times and worked on it. Uh, front arm was yeah. being being up there and, and forward um, and then mm-hmm. – I think it was pulling down as well into my hip and then follow through was to yep. get through like my left arm bowling hand to go past my yep. right knee. Um, yep. That was following right through and sort of bending my back as well. So um, it was as simple as that. You don't have to complicate it, but it mm. just, it was just a checklist I used because I've done so many drilling, uh, drilled so many times coming back from stress fractures I did. It did become a problem. Well, it was a problem for you know the first part of my career though because I was using it all the time, and it became too much of a focus instead of worrying about how I was getting someone out. So it was a massive issue, like because I would always have it in my mind. Um, but once I realised, okay, I don't need it all the time. I need to focus on how I'm getting someone out. Then it was you know used to its um, best. So. Um, yeah, I used to do it in warm-ups. I'd probably bowl about anywhere from 8 to 12 balls where i just walk through, just get everything in check because in my mind and my body would know, okay, it's a bowling day today. Let's get everything in line. We're all good here. And then I could just yeah. go out there and bowl. Yeah. So it was as, yeah, mm. as simple as that really. What, and what you said there is, yeah, the the ultimate um, balance of having your technical checklist, so you're just ticking off those boxes every ball because it is like mm. you've got to make sure that your technique's right because if something's out, you need to know how to be able to get back to where you need to be. But then it's also the balance of, okay, the mental side of things as well. Most importantly, how am I getting this guy out? What's my plan of how to, yeah. how to get him out? And then um, yeah. the other question as well is around what – 
in your own mind, what intensity did you have to have every ball, whether it's a release point or as you're running in, what intensity, what was going on in your mind to be able to be like for you to be at your best? Because you bowled fast consistently throughout your whole career. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a good question. And I think it's one that I'm always asked is about, oh, how do you bowl fast for a start? Um, but I think for me, like in my mind, I was always a, a fast bowler there to intimidate. And once I understood that, uh, that made things a lot easier for me. Um, it's just the way I was built. So there's definitely times in matches where, you know, you, you just pull it back a little bit because there's a certain situation of the game where you may need to just dry things up by bowling outside off stump and, and uh, just dry it up because they've got a good partnership. But in general, my job in the team was to bowl fast and, and be aggressive. So it also helps when the, the captain is on the same page and, and you know that, okay, I'm, I'm there to bowl short spells, uh, to bowl as fast as I can uh, because I couldn't bowl flat out for, you know, six overs, seven overs, eight overs. Um, it was just impossible to do that all day, every day. Um, so, yeah, sometimes I definitely picked my moments where I could, you know, step it up a little bit. Uh, but in general, I was, you know, not far off being, you know, flat out, um, which is a little bit unusual, I guess, but that's just the way I was built. So uh, and maybe that's another reason why I, I, I couldn't go on as long as maybe I would have liked. I, I think maybe mm-hmm. um, I could have played for another couple of years if I just, you know, backed it off a, a slight slight little bit. But I'm the same as what Binger, Binger was like that as well. He was like, I'm not playing mm-hmm. the game to bowl 138 kick clicks. Um, he'd rather What's wrong with you that? Know, bowl 100. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you've, you've hit 150, haven't you? Nah. Nah, came close when I was trying. When I was trying to, I was trying to be binger. <laughs> my back didn't like it that much. Either did my hamstrings. <laughs> no, no. The one thing that you mentioned there, and this is for all the captains out there who are going to be listening to this: if you want your fast bowlers to bowl fast, bowl them in shorter spells, because if you expect them to be able to bowl fast for six, seven, eight over spells, and then back that up throughout a day, you know what? It's not even happen. Mitch, who's who you, who was like the prototype of being the perfectly built fast bowler, you like you couldn't sustain it. So how's everyone else supposed to do that? So for captains, understand that to be able to get your fast bowls to bowl at their best and to be intimidating and to have the most effect, bowl them in shorter spells. Because what you said there is absolutely right. Yeah. And that was a big shift from, from you in test cricket as well. As soon as um, – well, pups. Uh, Michael Clark was was the captain. Yep. He bowled you in shorter spells around that time of that Ashes series as well, and that's where you had the instant impact. Every time you came on, there was impact yeah. because everyone knew that you were coming flat stick. Well, exactly. And there's two things here that I remember from that. Is one uh, before that Test series started, we sat down. All the fast bowlers sat down with with Michael, and he basically mm. spoke to each of us in the group and said, "This is." This is your role. This is your role. This is your role. This is your role. So my role was to bowl three, four over spells, maybe a five over spell here and there, but generally it was three or four overs. Most of the time I think there were three over spells um, and it was to be as fast as you can. Bowl bounces, 
get the ball up there um, occasionally, <laughs> um, basically. Uh, but you to, you're there to intimidate. You're better, there to bowl fast. Uh, Ryan Harris, use the new ball. He's got such a great wrist. He's going to swing the ball. We need him mm. to get it up there early. He could, you know, occasionally use his uh, short ball because he had a good short ball as well. He wasn't slow. Siddle, when he came on, it was just bowling stump to stump, get a little bit off the pitch if he could uh, with a bit of sideways movement. I mean, even Lyon, I think Lino was in that um, discussion as well as a bowler. You know, his job was mm. to, um, you know, bowling, you know, tight lines and, and keeping that pressure on. And when there was time for the ball to spin, um, you know, that was perfect for him. But even like at Brizzy, he gets bounced there. So uh, it's, it's all those little things. We all stuck to a role. And the other thing was, I remember from that, uh, what we're talking about is, and you're a, you're a part of this actually. You you told me to, I was bowling to Carberry at, at Brizzy in that first test, and I don't know if it was first or second innings. I think it might have been first innings, and he was digging in, and mm. I think I was bowling over the wicket, and I was bowling a really good line of length, mm. and you came up and said, "Go around the wicket and just bowl short at him across him." Um, mm. and, and get a few to go across, then maybe we might get an edge. And I sort of went, no, nah, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm going pretty well here. Like I'm, we're dotting it up. And and you sort of said, well, you sort of left it, I think. I don't know if you said, you know, you're there to intimidate, you know, or whatever. But um, I, I think I bowled one more ball and Pup, you must have said something to Pup and Pup came up and said, go around the yeah. wicket. And I said, all right, no worries. Mm. And literally within three balls, I think, or – Four balls, uh, we, we we nicked him off. So and you got the catch. Yeah, you nicked it yeah. to me. Yeah, beautiful. But <laughs> yeah. it was, I think for yeah. me that was a that was a great decision from from you guys to see that because I mm. I got caught up in bowling dot balls, but that wasn't my job. Mm. <laughs> wasn't I mean mm. it's nice to bowl dot balls, but uh, that wasn't my job to bowl outside off stump. I needed them to play. I needed them to jump around a bit. I needed them to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and that was a perfect example of some um, good leadership. Mitch, you were the perfect prototype as a physical specimen to be a fast bowler. It was like you were built out of stone. But you weren't always like that um, in your late teens and early 20s. So what were the lessons that you learned throughout your career to manage your body as well as you did to be able to stay on the park, to be able to have, to be able to bowl as fast as you did for a long period of time throughout your career? Oh, wow. Built, built from stone. Um, I'll take that. Uh, Absolutely. Oh. It's, it's really funny because I never felt like I was the, the fittest guy in the team, but I, I knew what I needed to do to get myself where I needed to. Um, and uh, that was over time. That was going through those injuries as a young kid. I was pretty lazy, to be honest. I, I'm happy to admit it. Uh, young, when I was young, I, I basically just let talent um, take over and I, I didn't really work hard. Even through the first couple of stress fractures, I didn't really do the, the, the you know, the, the prehab stuff and, you know, I'd sort of start doing it and then I'd feel good and then I'd go, oh, that's enough. So, yeah, I was pretty lazy. Um, it really was one incident that – well, not one incident, one one day when uh, Maddie Hayden was – he'd come back from a, an Australian tour and he was playing with us at Queensland and I remember him in the nets. We'd had a pretty long session. Um, I think we did a bit of fielding and then we were in the nets for – you know, the sessions go for two and a half hours, three hours, whatever they do. And he was just finished in the nets and he went over to the far side 
and he was – it got on the bowling machine and started hitting like a, a million balls. And so I started mm. stretching over near him and, and watching him and and waited until he finished his session. And I remember asking him, what's going on, mate? Like we just had like a massive session and, and you go and do that. Like why would you do that? And he goes, well, to be the best you have to – do the extra work and you know he was playing for Australia at the time and for good reason um, and that just sort of proved to me that you had to do the extra work the behind the scenes stuff that people don't um, you know not everyone does so I learned a, a massive lesson from him um, early on and, and I mean I was pretty lucky uh, we were both lucky, weren't we, when we were at Queensland early on and you had Bickle, Casperwich, uh, uh, Joey Dawes uh, we had Nofke, um, Haydos, like I said. Um, we had plenty of good guys to learn from. Uh, and I mean, Bickle's probably probably up there for me, but just on that day seeing Haydos do what he was doing and, and that continued on. I remember in the World Cup in 07 that happened as well where he just hit ball after ball on a bowling machine yeah. and never let anyone else have a hit. But no. um, it, it worked for him. It, it worked for him, worked <laughs> for the team in the end. But, yeah, yeah. I mean – the fitness side, the, the mentality definitely changed then um, and, and coming into my last bout of stress fractures. Uh, I, mm. I actually did a fair bit of work in you know, because I lost my contract for Queensland, so I had to right. you know, do a bit of, bit of different training. I, I was quite skinny, so I remember uh, Andy Bickle would always say that you, know, you need a bit more like bulk around your sort of your back and your, um, you know, that core strength and you need um, – just needed that bit of strength and um, I, I did a, a pretty heavy gym program and I was doing a bit of running and just changed my the way that I thought. I knew that I had to work hard and when I came back into the squad, I even did things like um, I, I was I would ask the fitness trainer if I could run with like Chris Hartley and, and James Hopes who were the best runners and we would do that Turak run. And he would go, yep, okay. Occasionally he would put me in that top group and what it did, it made me, try and keep up and push myself. So as much as I didn't like it and I felt really uncomfortable, I'd try my best to keep moving and keep trying to keep up with those guys. And uh, that was, you know, the start of it really is um, to all the fitness stuff and and what I needed to really do. And uh, it just built from there. I just got to know my body better. I got to feel, uh, learn to feel uncomfortable and and enjoy it in a way. Um, Yeah. It took a while though because those stress fractures early on, they hurt, and I couldn't do anything about it when I was when I was hurting. Um, you know, I literally like do a stretch on the ground with my you know leg over one side, and, and it would hurt. Um, yeah, it's so knife like being stuck in your back. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah. the, the, I remember the first stress fracture I got. It was actually we were in uh, the World Cup playing. It was Sri Lanka. Oh, yeah. And I, we yeah. played India and they thumped us. Yuvraj, I think, hit me mm. onto the on the roof or something like that. Um, yeah. And my back was starting to play up around that time. We okay. came back and played a, played a game for the QAS team. And I remember mm. bowling, coming into my third over, I literally couldn't walk. I think I finished the over. As I'm walking back to fine leg, I, every step I took – was just like a sharp knife in my back and that was my first stress fractures like I broke myself completely mm. um, and I think that was a good thing as well because I actually start I, 
because throughout my career, like I had pain. I still had pain in my back because of an old stress fracture that never healed. Um, mm. So I'd always get pain in the lower uh, or the top part of my glute on my right side. Mm. So I always had pain there, but I knew that I couldn't hurt myself anymore. I knew that if I um, did all the right training, like I got over time I learned what I could and couldn't do um, in my gym sessions or my running sessions. Um, so you you push yourself to where, you know, it would, you would still hurt and you get the benefits, but yeah, it wouldn't go to the extreme. Um, mm. So I learned, I learned about my body really well because of those stress fractures early on. And I learned what good pain and bad pain was. So mm. um, yeah, look, I definitely improved uh, my fitness and my, my strength. And I, I had that, um, I had that real good ability, I guess, to, to know what worked for me. And, um, you know, Cricket Australia, I think to their credit, they they put a lot of trust in me because when I'd come home, I'd do my own programs. Mm. Uh, Alex Contouris would often, you know, let me do that and understand that. He said, as long as you turn up and you're fit and healthy, then uh, and you're bowling fast and we've got no problems. But, yeah, it was, um, it was a long process, um, but it was an enjoyable one. Like I remember um, like seeing you in the gym all the time and the the power work that you do very specific to, you know, the strength that you're trying to that you're building up um, yeah. was um, you know, all these all these power movements, which are were specific in a way to the power that you needed at the crease, whether it's um, yeah. even at your your running power. And people can actually see what these exercises and everything looks like and you know what you do did. Um, to be able to get the best out of yourself with um, your bowl fit um, app that you've that you've developed, and this is an in- this is incredible for any young fast bowler. If you want to see what the best did to be able to get the best out of themselves from a physical preparation point of view, you have to go on to bowl fit because it is it's exactly what came out, and I saw it with my own eyes seeing Mitch. He ended up just being built out of stone. So, um, <laughs> yeah, can you talk us through bowl fit and exactly you know what people will will see? Um, themselves, I know, I know what it is, but t- talk us yeah. through exactly what they get out of it because that's how you get big and strong, and they're specifically strong to be able to bowl as fast as you as you can as an individual. Yeah, well, like you said, it's an individual program. Uh, Jock Campbell, who was uh, you did a bit of work with him early on um, mm. the Australian team, and uh, yeah. you know Binger as well, and McGrath and Steve Waugh. So those guys um, have have been. Part of his programs in the past, and he came up with this idea of, of bowl fit and wanted to work with me because of my history as well, and and he'd seen how hard I'd worked, and so it was a really good opportunity to uh, get that program out there, which is basically we're doing um, it's a it's a bowling program of how basically I went about it. Um, mm. So you've got a bowling workload, well. We call it workload program. You sort of got to know how many um, deliveries in a week, I guess. I don't go by a day-by-day thing. It's, it's sort of a feeling mm. thing. But, um, yeah. yeah, but you've got like a, a running program, which is Jock's background is, is running. Um, yep. You've got a fitness uh, gym program. Um, and, and I've got a lot of videos on there as well about um, how to do these exercises. I, I sort of run through a few of them, um, how to do the powerlifting stuff and, uh, which is became a massive, massive um, uh, part of my game was the the powerlifting and and everyone's different. 
And, and that's where the program is mm-hmm. really good because it's very individualized. And it, what it does, it reacts to, it's very reactive to what you're doing at the time. So it's um, in in real time, I guess. Um, so if you miss like a week of training, it won't continue on the program. It'll drop back. So if you've missed that week and say you've had like um, a big heavy lifting session in the gym, it won't allow you to do that. It'll react to where you are at the time. So um, it doesn't just blow your <laughs> blow your body apart. Um, yeah. So that's what I really love about it. Um, so, I mean, there's so much content on there. Um, yeah. You know, it is it's it is uh, really helpful. And I know a few of the Aussie guys have used it in um, previous time, time as well. Like, uh, mm. I think uh, Smithy's used it um, coming back um, a little while ago. And um, I think uh, – who is it? Uh, Sandu is using it at the moment. Um, there's a couple of guys from New South Wales that are using it. So yep. uh, it's, it's definitely a – it's definitely quality and, and having Jock on board um, is, you know, it's massive because he, he knows his stuff and he's been around. He was around longer than me. So, um, yeah. yeah, great program. I just want to talk about the actual powerlifting stuff because that mm. that's something that's being done a lot more now. Uh, and I think as a bowler, as a sp- it's very specific. So because we, we work on our the, – the fo- the biggest thing is your core, right? Everything mm. works around your core. So you've got to have a really strong core. And um, so you work into these pro- these programs nice and easy. It's not just going lifting heavy um, weights. That's not what it's about. It's about explosiveness, and which is what yeah. you need as a, as a fast bowler. You need to be explosive. So when people hear power, they might think, oh, it's got to be really heavy and uh, it's not that at all. So it's about ex- yeah. being explosive and uh, very specific um, to, to what you need as a bowler. Mitch, you became a national hero to the public and the media after you single-handedly, I know you said it wasn't, but I'm saying it single-handedly won the Ashes Series in Australia. <laughs> it was um, the Mo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just played, yeah, the, yeah, it was the Mo. That was a reason. Um, but, from, but from what you know now, um, would you have approached the media in a different way when you were playing? Uh, we've had good chats about this, haven't we, uh, over yeah. our time? And I think we both feel the same way. And um, yeah, I think if we, well, for me personally, if I, I took the media as, I took it very personally for a long period of time there, especially around that after '09 um, over in Cardiff when there was a bit of bit of stuff going on, and uh, the media sort of jumped on it, and I was quite sort of shocked by it. And didn't expect personal things to be sort of used, um, and, and I don't think they should. But um, no, exactly. Um, so yeah, I definitely took a, a bit of a stance there, and it got worse and worse over time. And as soon as I was underperforming, um, it was worse for me. It, it didn't affect mm. them, the media. So um, I remember. I think we were in Sri Lanka, and we had a really good like chat about it. I'm pretty sure, but um, mm. we sort of spoke about like making. Um, good connections with the media because when we first started, those guys that we played with, you know, Hados and uh, Punter and um, all those guys, um, they had good relationships with a lot of the media guys. Um, And it definitely helps because you can – I felt like you can then get your your point across or you can (laughs) – I don't know. It's just much easier. Um, You start to build those relationships and they definitely – 
things don't get written about you um, just after one bad performance. There might be a little bit, yeah. but it's not as harsh. It's not there's no personal stuff. It's yeah. so I think it's a really important thing, like in in young guys coming through, is to build those relationships. It doesn't have to be with all the media. They're still going to be yeah. you know, guys that you, you don't get on with. But um, I definitely learned that um, the more you you sort of make the effort, um, the easier it is, and 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 they. They like that as well, um, and you can be more honest. I feel like in in media conferences or um, mm. interviews that you do, um, because they are they they'd rather write good things in the end. Most of them, yeah. most of the, pretty much the majority of the sports journos would love to write more positive things. Um, it's not to say yeah that there was the, the occasional bad article, but like I said, I was happy for something to be written if if it was you know, valid. If I underperformed and was doing it um, consistently, then, yeah, do it. Like, have a crack. Um, but, yeah, I think those relationships definitely helped at the back end of my career and I quite – I actually enjoyed my cricket a lot more because I wasn't worried about things that were being written. No, I completely agree. Like, if I had my time again, I would have definitely – from as soon as I got in and around Australian cricket, um, I would have definitely – Gone out and and got to know all the all the cricket writers and the and the, yep. and the media and also the, like the commentators as well. Um, yeah, because, actually, that's you know, a good they're, point. They're, they're also the voice that people listen to. That um, you know, when they're watching a full days of Test cricket, where if they've if they don't know you personally and they are having a few personal sort of attacks on you because they don't know you, yeah, then then that's people who are listening start to believe that. Whereas if, if yeah. you got to know the commentators personally, they've got more understanding of who you are. Um, yeah, they might soften things even slightly. Yeah, they, they're going to say the truth yeah. because if you're not performing, yeah. that's great. But well, they can go when they don't. Well. Yeah, and if but if they don't know you personally, it's easy to <laughs> to go pretty hard. So um, that would, if no. I'm a time again, that's definitely it would have made a huge difference. And as you said, it would have just meant that I wasn't felt like I was looking over my shoulder. I felt like I couldn't be honest yeah. because you, I always felt like, you know, if I was, if I was really honest, then people were just going to go like, just go real hard. And I'm like, well, yeah. I'm just going to shut myself off instead of just getting to know them. They write really good pieces um, either way, but it's honest without having personal digs and throwing you know, personal things in there. Well, I think um, you make that really good point on the commentators because they're the majority of ex-players and mm. we've all been through it. And it's just this part of the job when you're in the, the commentary or if you're writing an article, um, you're there to um, comment on what you see. And mm. if you're not being honest, then that, I don't think that's a good thing because people want to hear the truth. They want to hear mm. what you see and, and it's not about being nasty. Um, and and a, an example was I, I commented on uh, Mitchell Stark uh, mm. India series, uh, Adelaide Oval, he just looked like he – I sort of made the comment – I was on radio. I made the comment about his run-up, I think, and his body oh, his body language. Mm. Said, oh, if his body language is up and about, then the team gets up and about. It actually drives them. The crowd, like, gets into it. Mm. It's a really big thing. And because he'd often, like, drop his shoulders and um, you could just tell that he wasn't enjoying it. Um, mm. And – I'd been through that. I knew exactly what he was feeling. So I felt like it was a good comment. But it, mm. the thing was that it got taken in the print and it was written that I was having a go at him. 
and it actually like took me off guard a, a bit. But I spoke to um, I actually spoke to Starkey about it after the boys had wound me up. I'd sent a text to say this isn't what I said. Like it wasn't in that context. Blah blah mm. blah. And they didn't reply back. Um, there was a few of them because I was trying to figure out if they were annoyed at what I said. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next day, the next day, I was on the field uh, about to interview Starkey, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and Nath Lyon, the goat, comes up and goes, mm. "Starkey's not happy with you." <laughs> oh, no worries. And I'm like, "God, oh, this is great." <laughs> so anyway, Starkey walks over and he's like shaking his head, and he comes in. He goes, gives me a big hug, and he goes. Mate, all good. Didn't even know you said it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. he, the relationship is like you say. If you have a good relationship, you can actually say things, and it's not a personal thing. Yeah. It's actually there to help. And I had many of chats with him throughout that summer. We had many of phone chats, and any time we saw each other, so it was always about trying to get him better. It's not, yeah. it's not a, you know, it's not to try and take him down. <laughs> Mitch, you're going to move um, away from cricket right now. Um, we were certainly um, very lucky to come along through a time where we um, were paid incredibly well for doing something that we absolutely love. Um, so were you always good with um, investing your money? Um, and looking back from where you are now, would you have invested your money different differently um, mm. Or were you really looking back? You were really content with how how you invested your money, whether it's you know from a young age investing in shares or property or you know businesses that sort of thing. Uh, look, never never had money growing up, um, and all of a sudden you you're thrusted into this um, different world where yeah we're getting paid. Um, I, I remember mm. my first rookie contract for Queensland. <laughs> I think it was like twenty grand or something. I don't know, like something. Yeah. Not much. And yeah, I was like, yeah. holy bully, yeah. how good's this? I was like, <laughs> <Yeah>. party. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, look, I, I've never personally been um, sound with money, I guess. Like I'm not good with like math and money. So mm. I've, I've been lucky enough to have really good people around me. My uh, manager, Sam Helverson, uh, yeah. who, who helped me through. Uh, and gave me a lot of really, really good good advice. Having Jess as well, um, not at that early age, but um, once I started earning serious serious money, um, mm. like you said, we, we we started getting paid really well. Um, so yeah, look, having good people around um, has definitely helped me. Um, I've looked always been interested in investments. Um, we've we've looked mm. into so many. I, I think property is a really good one. A really Sound investment. Um, yeah. So we, we, that was one thing that uh, Sam had worked with me early on was to you know purchase a few over time, purchase a few um, properties. Always mm. look to pay things out before I moved on to the next. I yeah. never, never um, bought three or four different properties straight up. Mm. Um, can you imagine that now, like being through this this period of uh, where COVID had kicked in and. Yeah. Uh, and you, you know, you've got all these properties, but you don't actually own them. Um, as we've sort of had that belief of, um, oh, my wife just just has definitely um, had that strong belief of, you know, paying things off before we move on to the next. So, uh, yeah. from a property point of view, which has yeah. you know saved us. Um, yeah, yeah, done a couple of nice investments. Never, never invested money I don't have. Um, so they've yeah. always been like. You know, 
little investments, I guess, or, or investments that I can afford, something I can afford yep. to lose, um, yep. you know, money-wise. So it's never been out of control. Uh, I guess the only thing that's been out of control is my cars, my fetish for cars. You've got to have a nice. Yeah, it's exactly right. You got to have a little treat here and there, and yeah, some guys love their watches. I know Sid's Sid's was one of those guys that um, you know would buy watches after tours yeah. or special moments. Um, there's all these different things that people have, and I unfortunately have always loved cars. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, that's that's my one and sort of only thing, I guess. Really, um, you know, yeah. we, we've we always looked to you know set our future up. You know, we've we put money mm-hmm. away for the kids and and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, for schooling and um, all those types of things. So, um, yeah, yeah, I leave all that up to the the pros, though. That's not something I I like to really. Um, when it comes to the numbers, I've have yeah. zero idea. So. Yeah, but I like to be involved in like the the process of it all. Um, mm. You know, looking at properties or you know we're looking at a few things to do now, like um, w- whether we're going to build some townhouses or um, on, on a property that we have. So um, it's always always evolving. So for me, two things really stand out there: the points that you made. Um, one is having someone that you really trust, and that can yeah. be really difficult to find. It took oh, it's yeah. taken me it's taken me up until like last year. to be able to find one, um, an investment person who I really trust and I know is a real expert and is not there to take, um, not there with really high fees. I know the decisions they're going to be making are for the best for me and my family. So that's from an investment point of view. And then also finding an incredible accountant who can just work through Various things, whether it's you know from a tax point of view, but then also you know any business opportunities that potentially do come up, or um, so it, it's taken me up until last year where I really found that um, those two people that I needed. And you, yeah, if you don't have it, you got to search for the right one and not get too ingrained. But you know, with you and Sam, Sam, Hel- Sam Halverson, he's obviously been a rock for yeah. you, which is really important. So that was one one point that you made there, which is absolutely people have just got to find that if they haven't found it. Keep, and it's hard. It is hard. It's not easy. Yeah. No, it's not. And that's why you just got to keep have certain criteria that you have and give it a tr- even a trial period for a period of time to make sure that yeah. it is working for you without going um, all in. So if yeah. you're all in, then it's hard to pull out um, yeah, and get it out. Exactly. So go through yeah. a trial period. The second one is not spending money that you don't have in, in investments because one thing that the mistakes that I made in particular was, yes, I could service, um, I could get big loans for a period of time where I was earning you know, incredible money. Um, but I got, I got recommended, oh, you can get this loan, you can buy this, you can do, you can buy this home. And a, a, quite a bit of my money that I had, I paid in interest with banks. So I made, I made banks a lot of money because of the recommendations people were, were giving me instead of going, you know what, just pay out of the money that you've got. So one, you reduce the, che- reduce the money that you pay to a bank, you actually keep that for yourself but you don't get too far in front of yourself. Like if something happens, whether it's obviously this COVID situation is is, is yeah. really sad and horrific, but if it yeah. is a, like a global financial crisis or there's something that just comes along out of nowhere, the mining boom just stopped booming, um, yeah. you're not overcommitted. So what yeah. you said there is incredibly wise and people need to are out there who are looking to invest need to really understand how important that is. Um, using your money that you've got, and also what you said yeah, there was exactly. um, 
and be comfortable that if if it's a smaller investment that you're happy to lose it. It's not a significant investment that you things will just you know you'll have to nearly go bankrupt if you if you exactly, lose yeah. Yeah, yeah. money and investment. So yeah. the other thing that I'm going to ask you about because I find this incredible and fascinating is your investment into the pirate life. Um, the craft beer brand. I find that fascinating because that is an incredible story to be able to get in and, um, you know, have do the due diligence on, uh, um, people and a potential company to be able to then, you know, not everyone that you know that, you know, you hear about does really well, but this was a, you know, huge success story for the people, for the founders and for the early investors. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool story how they all came mm. about, and uh, Sam Sam actually knew uh, the CEO. Um, it's one of the uh, fathers of the son sons that there was two two um, young guys that um, put it together, and um, I mean they, they their their story is incredible. They they from Perth. Uh, mm. One was working at Little Creatures, I think. And mm-hmm. the other down south somewhere, I can't remember quite recall anyway. Uh, but they decided that there was no market in WA or Perth for this craft beer, and they decided to take a road trip over to, to South Australia to Adelaide and set up there. And um, yeah, once this opportunity sort of was put in front of us, um, you know, we, we had uh, you know due diligence, um, as you said, and. Mm. Um, which is really important, and and to not try not to get too excited because uh, I mean it sounded like a really good product, but you still had to go through it all. And again, like how much are we, you know, um, happy to lose here if it, if it fails? And there mm. was no expectation at the time for us to you know make any money from it. It was just mm. seems like a really cool thing to get involved in. Never never sort of thought of um, doing it before, and. Um, yeah, it all sort of just matched up and we actually got Jess's parents to invest as well. So there was a bit of pressure on um, from that point of view. But, um, I mean, for me, um, yeah, their whole process, I I visited them a couple of times when when I was ever in Adelaide and uh, the brewery process, how they set it all up and it was quite Mm. fascinating and um, just going by the cans, um, how they did that um, mm. and making it look really cool, the reasons why they went with cans because they can fill it right up and there's no sunlight that comes in so it's all, huh. you know, really fresh and yeah. just little things like that that I wouldn't even have thought about. You just, you know, open up a can of drink and you drink it. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, right. So um, did a couple of little taste tests as well. Um, so mm. I went through all that stuff. But, yeah, to invest in something like that that's come out, um, and done really well. Um, mm. And actually, you know, it it was more. I was really satisfied. Like I said, Jess's parents were were investors, so um, mm. you know, for them to to go well and and do well out of it, um, it set them up for you know the rest of their lives. And mm. um, you know that that's that's what it's all about. But um, yeah, yeah, really happy. We, we sort of as investors, I think we've all stuck together and moved on to something else. So hopefully that all all comes through. But um, Look, it, like I said, it's hit and miss. Like we never expected mm. it to to really take off. Like it looked like a really good product, but you you never know like what's going to happen. And uh, the boys were really cool, uh, really laid back, and uh, they they worked their asses off um, to to mm. get it to how they wanted. And I stayed out of it as an investor. Now I had the profile to to really push things, but they were like, "No, we want to do it our way," and um, that was really cool. I remember mm. seeing people wearing their you know, shirts around here in WA and, um, you know, their, their products. So 
uh, no, it was a really exciting time. Uh, it was good yeah. fun. Super cool. Mitch, you have certainly been through um, yeah, plenty of ups and downs in your life, um, as yeah. life always throws at all of us. <laughs> so yeah. uh, do, you have a, do you have a mantra or a saying um, that um, always reminds yourself um, that makes you bounce back quicker from you know, these, these setbacks that you know, life always throws at you? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think it's just trying to stay positive to keep positive, a good positive mindset um, is really important. Uh, I think I've definitely had uh, my own personal issues um, and especially coming out of the game, like it's quite difficult when you're, you're so flat out and you're so focused on one thing and then being an elite, an elite sports or ex elite sportsman, you're, you do it a certain way and it, it, it's quite hard to, to go back um, into family life and, and slow down. And uh, But then you've also got to fulfil the days. You've got to have purpose. Um, so it, it's quite a, a tricky situation. And some people might say, oh, you've been spoiled, you've got this money, this and that. And um, that doesn't mean anything really. Um, it's, it, this is the new phase of my life. It's, um, mm. it, it's totally different. Uh, so I've got a, yeah, I guess a mantra for me is, is just to, to keep moving forward, um, trying mm. to look for um, things to, to challenge myself. Um, yeah. It's a daily battle. Uh, it's like you said, yeah. everyone, uh, a lot of people go through it, don't they? they they're trying to. Uh, no question, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a daily battle and, and especially in these times, it's even even more difficult. Mm. But, um yeah, I think it's just trying to build a routine as well, um, have that routine at home um, and get that balance of between um, home and, and, and business or, or whatever it may be um, mm. that you enjoy doing. So, yeah, I mean, this has just flooded my mind, you asking that question. It's, it's, it's mm. so much. Um, but there's so much um, in the future as well. It doesn't just end now. Like This is the start of our lives yeah. um, after cricket, after sport and uh, it's really exciting because it's we're out of our comfort zones. Um, <laughs> totally, it's, it's like we're, we're, we're back to being like it feels like I'm a teenager again yeah. in, in a way. Like it, it, it's it really is. Um, now I've just had something come through in an email last night uh, to do a, a speaking gig for uh, the children's hospital. I think um, towards mm. the back end of the year, and my first initial thoughts is like I'm like crapping myself. Like to do something like that, but it's like it's nice to be able to get something like that to come through, and that they sort of highly respect what I did um, yep. in, in my field, and um, that's sort of just part of you know part of life now. It's it's doing those kind of things, and um, it's a it's a challenge for me speaking. So I've done a couple. Uh, I did, did one actually uh, a, a keynote presentation uh, in front mm. of um, doctors and scientists and. Uh, it was about two years ago in Melbourne um, for an event. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but um, mate, I was absolutely petrified. It was like a forty-five minute speech, and then a Q and A on the back end of it, in yeah. front of all these like smart people, and they wanted me to talk at the end. <laughs> I was like, "All right, sure." So it was all about mental mental health and things like that, mm. and what I'd been through, and um, they quite enjoyed the story. Um, but it was it was fine once I got up there and I spoke and. So these are all the challenges that, you know, uh, I guess I'm, I'm sort of going through at the moment. Um, but I think the biggest thing is having a purpose. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's finding how you do that um, 
because it's never going to be the same. Like I don't, at the moment, I don't feel like I'll ever get that same rush or buzz. Mm. Um, but I'm also, I don't think I'm looking for that. I'm just looking for something that I enjoy doing. Yep. So absolutely, it's a, it's a and, process. and what you said. Yeah, and what you said there is about is purpose, and that's the one thing how important purpose is because when you've got a when you've got a really clear purpose of what you want to do, like it, like it, um, you know, was for for us, we want to be the best cricketers we possibly could be, um, and yeah. that purpose means once you have got purpose, everything else around, like you always know there's going to be setbacks, but that it's unwavering your desire and your like your vision about where you want to get to. Uh, Mitch, you've met and been around some of the most successful people in the world. Um, who has inspired you most and and why? Oh, I guess I only see it from a you know, sports. I'm trying to think. I'm fortunate enough, really lucky to meet the Queen. I remember that. Um, yeah. I remember actually saying to me, oh, you're that really good fast bowler. <laughs> and I Did was she? like, thank you, ma'am. Yeah. Because we're told not, oh, you, you can wow. only talk to her. You can only talk to her <laughs> if she speaks to you. Um, is that was that what we were told? <laughs> something like that, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, someone who's inspired me is—I mean, the obvious one for me is like Dennis Lilly. Yeah. Um, I, I think what—I mean, there's so many people that I've met along the way that are outside the game um, or the game of cricket that uh, mm. um, you know I've listened to and, and found quite interesting, but mm. I think. Uh, for me, Dennis, um, just just being able to have that uh, chance to um, you know talk to him whenever I needed to. Um, he knew me really well. Uh, he never tried to change me. He just tried to make me um, better um, and gave me gave me advice. Um, it, it was never about. Yeah, um, trying to make make me turn into him or anything like that. Where some, you know, you get some coaches that can be a bit like that, um, do it yeah. their way, and that's it. Um, yeah. So for me, like, yeah, I think he's he's been like quite an inspiration to me. I remember him just saying to me, like, when I was coming back from my injury or whenever I was back in town and I needed a bit of you know a bit of advice. The one thing that always stood out was like going for like. He, he loved going for like a long road run. Yeah. But the reason why he did it was for mental toughness. Um, it was mm. the because I never liked long distance running mm. and I would do it because I hated it and I knew I needed <laughs> to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, mentally that, you know, you get, that helps. And, um, and also the bones, it's it sort of his other reasoning was it, it makes your bones, you know, harder and, because you go from a soft surface to a hard surface when you're bowling. So that was another reason why. But just little things like that, like that, you know, they're in, invaluable. Like, and, and a lot of lot of people are missing out. A lot of young young cricketers are missing out. And I think it's something that Cricket Australia need to look for in the future and something that's been spoken to on, on many of occasions that um, guys like Dennis and, and you know, McGrath's, um, you know, the greats of the game, um, you know, Warney, for instance, they need to be around the next generation uh, before it's too late. Um, they've just got yep. so much information. And it's, you know, they need to work with guys. It's not just a one-off thing, you know, where it's, yep. it might be on, you know, on a morning of a test match and they're <laughs> with, with some guy like, you know, for, 
whatever reason it's to be seen or, or whatever. Yeah, um, they actually need to be they, working. Yep, they mean well, but it's more token instead of actually having the ongoing yeah. impact, which is what is yep. what you need, and you need to tap into these incredible resources, and that's what Australian cricket need to do. And they need to be paid for it. So, and talking about talking about learning, um, I love I love reading books um, and learning. So, have you got a favourite book that you've read um, that's had the biggest impact on you? Well, my very first book that I read was American Sniper. Um, that was after I watched the movie, I I read the book and found it really fascinating. Just all the little details. Um, I read a book recently, uh, by Ant Middleton, um, the fear bubble. I read it probably a few months ago now. Um, talks about like the moment just before he goes into battle, um, um, and how he sort of puts this bubble around him, um, because, he doesn't want to waste that energy before battle because you get so excited, you get so worked up, your nerves are kicking in, now you start thinking about things. So that was it was a really interesting book. Um, I wish I'd had something like, you know, I wish I'd read a lot more when I was playing, to be honest. Mm. But, um, yeah, it was just really, really interesting to sort of hear it from a, a different perspective, um, you know, the military side of things where it's life and death for those guys and how he sort of just... Made a re- made it really simple um, mm. with his mindset and and what he did, um, but yeah, it's um, I'm, I'm sort of into the the military sort of side of stuff. Like I love that that kind of stuff. I always have. Um, and uh, what's another book that I read, um, uh, I can't remember the name. Sorry, but yeah, those are the kind of books that I do do enjoy. Is where they. Is the mindset ones, um, yep. and, and yeah, they're, they're definitely um, good to read. As you said about the, the <laughs> you know, military guys, um, yeah, if their mindset has to be absolutely on, otherwise, it, if they're slightly off, uh, it can mean it can mean yeah, you know, the difference between life and death, not just for them, but yeah. for their yeah, you know, for the people that well, um, the you know, people with as well. Them. Yeah, yep. exactly. So they've got to be switched on, and uh, it was. It, I mean, it was really interesting what he was saying because I sort of think back to when I was playing and. You sometimes waste energy when thinking about the next day when you've got a you know the first test match at the Gabba mm. uh, in a national series and it's like it's hard to sleep. Um, so it would have been good to read these you know these kind of books um, uh, when I was playing. But um, yeah, no, it's good for now. Like I, I can use it in, in my every sort of day life, and you know if I have to do a speech, I can use it for something like that. Uh, as simple as that, you know. Um, um, yeah, so it's uh, – I'm more into the audible book stuff, um, listening yeah. to that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's really nice when you can sit in the car if you've got a long journey or you're in traffic and you can take something in. But, yeah, it's aren't over the just, last couple of years. The best, aren't they just the best yeah. audible, audible books? That's the thing. You yeah. can be in your car caught in traffic, but you're actually learning because you're listening to a, to an audio yeah. book. Um, it's super cool. Mm. Well, you've you've always, I mean, you've always enjoyed reading, and mm. I mean, um, I remember on tour you'd always have a book with you or two. Yeah, but just yeah, I'd, it'd make me fall asleep when I was on on tours. I'd tried a couple of times. 
I oh, don't worry, it made me fall asleep a lot of times. That's <laughs> but there's well, yeah, I've always I've always loved reading and now and now over the last um you know couple of years in particular I've moved away from especially autobiographies and books around you know mental skills and that sort of thing into um you know business books because I find business absolutely fascinating as I'm trying to grow. Yeah. Um yeah, you know, P twenty stars um in particular, I find all that very, very fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. No, I, I did start. Well, I did start reading that uh, the Crossroads, which was um, with uh, uh, the Victoria Cross. Uh, oh yeah, oh, what's his name? Um, yeah, uh, Mark Donaldson and Mark Donaldson. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so Mark Donaldson um, did that book. It was actually really his childhood. Uh, you know, it sort of. It, it makes you think a bit like his childhood was really rough um, in growing yeah, up okay. and then got into the military and, um, you know, the whole process of that, like where he was to, to where he is now, like, um, yeah, absolutely amazing. Like he, he was on, on the edge um, and, and he's, you know, made a really good life for himself. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's what I like. I like hearing those kind of stories where people have come from nothing and, and had those you know, really tough backgrounds. Um and to be able to to be able to come out on the other side of it um, and be in good shape. Yep. Yeah. And that's and that's your story, mate, which is which is very special. Um, Mitch, um, this has been very special to have had you on this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. You have lived an extraordinary life so far, and I truly am pinching myself to now be talking to you on my podcast, Lessons Learned with the Greats. From where we came from together back in the late 90s, it's just incredible to be able to be talking to you now, mate. So thank you so much for taking the time to share with us your amazing insights that we all can learn from. I truly am so grateful for you sharing all of these experiences with us. And we are all that much richer for digging deeper into the mind of one of the greats of world cricket. Uh, thanks, Wado. And it's, it's really nice to sit down and chat to you. Yeah, we've had a we've had a great time together, and it's um, no, it's really nice to reflect on a few things as well, like because uh, we have we have gone through a lot together, and um, it, it's great that we can still talk to this day, and especially with technology, we, we don't live in the same place, so it's um, you know I'm really grateful that you you wanted to speak to me, and you you've called me the great and made a stone. I'm I'm really happy. <laughs> it's all true, mate. Good on you, mate. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> I appreciate mate. it. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.